0: Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go, brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Adam Childers, here with the podcast Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. Well, I am glad to be talking to everybody again. It's another balmy summer, August, sweltering day, but I am ensconced here in the crow's nest uh, here in the studio uh, with producer Tyler, and uh, I am really excited because I'm also joined by not only one of my colleagues uh, here at the firm, but also someone that I count as one of my very best friends in the world, one of my Law school classmates uh, many, many moons ago, uh, and that is none other than David Sullivan. David, say hello to everybody. Hey, everybody out there. Uh, it's great to be here with Adam. Uh, we've known each other a very long time. Very long time. And despite that, he still said okay to coming on the show with me. And the reason I've got David on the show today is that uh, we're going to be talking about something that is right within his bailiwick, and that is patents. Uh, you see, David is the chair of the Intellectual Property Division, the section here at the law firm, uh, which is no small matter because that. That makes it uh, – hes it's one of the biggest uh, practice found, groups. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with uh, now double-digit attorneys spread out. And I think we figured this out. The only practice group that now has attorneys in each of our four locations, that being Oklahoma City, Tulsa, Dallas, and now our Houston office, which makes uh, David a pretty important person around here. Very important. Very, very yeah. important. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's, so he chairs that uh, the department for us. And, of course, uh, one of the things he does uh, routinely is works on uh, patent registration as well as patent litigation. Uh, and that's uh, gained him some uh, notoriety within the uh, all those uh organizations that that rank us and tell us how we uh, how we 're doing, including uh, probably the most prestigious of all those that 's uh, the chambers rankings where uh, David is listed as band one, which is uh, top of the heap and that 's uh, you know that 's something that 's well deserved and we 're really excited to have you here today because we 're going to talk about something we're, we, I wanted to do a nuts and bolts show you know I want to talk about you know something we're gonna take it from the top and kind of break it down because when we think about uh, intellectual property, usually people either think about trademarks or they think about patents. And when they think about patents, usually you have a general idea that somebody's invented something and they want to they want to have some rights in it. But beyond that, your your average layperson doesn't know much more about it than that process. But talk about something that's pretty darn important to know about. Uh you know, you want to make sure that if you uh if you really come up with something lightning in a bottle that you're going to, you know, get some uh get some revenue from that. So that's what we're going to talk about today is really the patent process. And so I don't know any other better place to start than well, let's just start with what is a patent, David? Sure,
1: sure. The term intellectual property generally refers to patents and trademarks and trade secrets copyrights. Within that sort of umbrella term of intellectual property, the term patent refers to essentially a contract between an inventor and the federal government. And in exchange for the inventor disclosing his or her invention to the federal government, the federal government gives that inventor a limited monopoly, which allows the inventor to prevent other people from practicing the invention for a term of about 20 years.
0: So that's interesting. It's really kind of a well, well, like you say, it's, it's a contract with the government. You're, you're essentially giving a benefit for the good of the populace, but they're putting some rules and regulations around it. In exchange for sharing your, your brilliant idea
1: with the rest of us and disclosing it in a public fashion so that we can build upon it, it's for the promotion of the sciences and arts. Um, the federal government will then grant that inventor, the patent holder, a limited monopoly to keep others from practicing the invention for a period of time.
0: How long have we been doing
1: that process? For For as long as the Patent Act has been around. Um, you know, Einstein was a famous patent clerk. It's been around for a long
0: time. Okay. Well, then the the next logical step in the kind of building this foundation is, uh, let's say that, uh, you know, I've come up with the next big invention. This is the big leap here. I haven't done it yet. I'm 48. Maybe I can the, see it. Yeah. Maybe the big idea is still out there on the horizon for me. You but, bet. If, but if it happens, uh, tell me how I go about getting that patent. Well, you start
1: by filing a patent application. And a patent application typically includes um, a set of drawings. If your your invention is a mechanical invention, you'll have some drawings. You'll have a written description that sort of explains to the reader how to make and use the invention. And then at the back of the, the patent application, we have these numbered paragraphs that we call claims. And those claims actually define the scope of the intellectual property that you're trying
0: to protect with your patent application. Okay so you say drawings I'm I'm picturing in my mind the stick figures I might yeah, have Yeah like a mousetrap right right, yeah, right, right. but 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 in all seriousness I'm sure some of them maybe the more famous ones even uh, may have started out on the back of a napkin you bet so, and, and that could actually work. We've seen, yeah, you bet. And and a
1: lot of our inventors, um, you know, some of the, the most brilliant inventors that we've worked with in the past, um, you sketch things out on the garage floor. Or I've seen guys weld drawings on a, a piece of sheet metal. And so, uh, yeah, the, the drawings um, in their initial form can be pretty crude. Right. Uh, we refine those before we put them in the patent application. So, somebody drew it out on their garage floor, took a picture of it, and could that –
0: a cocktail basis napkin, of
1: it. you bet. Uh, they bring it to the attorney and we take those crude drawings and, and make them into something that looks a little bit more like what you'd find at a patent filing and, and, yeah. and, 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 <laughs> and go from there. Formalize it a little you bit.
0: What, what's the weirdest one that you've gotten before or that you've heard of being submitted that way? You know, we um,
1: years ago, we helped get a patent on a cat toilet seat and the <laughs> okay. drawings for the cat toilet seat were pretty cool. I, yeah, I would assume uh, so. Pretty interesting invention. Yeah, we see a lot of, a lot of different things. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, one of the best parts of my job is that I get to work with really brilliant, creative, eccentric people um, every week.
0: Wow, that that's amazing, and and I can attest to this because when David and I were in law school together, I I took intellectual properties a class, and 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 I did pretty well in the class, and so I I kind of strutted my stuff and kind of told him maybe I wanted to be a, an IP attorney, and and David, being the nice guy that he is, didn't immediately uh, you know take away my dreams, but after I'd been in your office long enough and I'd seen equations on your you know dry erase board and I don't know like fabricated uh, you know designs. Uh, laying around, I thought, "Oh, this takes a different kind of mind." So I, I, I'm sure, yeah. kind of engineering background is is probably key. Well, it's it's important. Um, you don't
1: have to be an engineer to be a patent attorney. I am. My background's in chemical engineering, but that's why I like it. It's a nice blend of of the science that I that I studied in undergrad and that I still enjoy, and and the law and the the battles and the arguments and and the brief writing and all of that. It's, yeah. a, it's a good combination.
0: Yeah, yeah. You kind of get to see all sides of it. You well, know. so then. Turning back to this patent process. So, you know, uh, we've talked about, you know, some of it can be rather informal on the back of a nappy. But still, there's got to be some standards, some thresholds that you've got to meet to get one. You bet.
1: Yeah. I mean, what starts out as a pretty crude drawing turns into a pretty formal patent application. And that's what we get paid to do. Um, We take the inventor's abstract ideas and, and crude drawings, and then we help them uh, articulate those ideas and inventions into a formal patent application that's submitted with the United States Patent and Trademark Office.
0: And so, what are the, what are the benchmarks you're trying to achieve in that application? What, what, what's the government going to kind of have to check each box to say, yep, this is worthy of giving a patent to?
1: Yeah, there are really three hurdles that we need to overcome. And the first is pretty straightforward. We have to be able to show that the invention has some kind of utility, some kind of defined purpose. We don't really run into a, a problem there unless the inventor comes to me and says, hey, I developed this great gel in the lab. And I say, what's it for? And they go, we don't really know. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that occasionally becomes a problem. But most of the time, um, we have an invention that's the right subject matter for a patent filing. And we can find some utility in the invention that we can express in our patent application. The other two hurdles are that we have to show that it's new and not obvious. And the new or novelty requirement is a pretty low hurdle. We just have to show that as we are defining our invention in this patent application, it has to be at least a little bit different than what's been done before. Okay. The non obvious requirement is a little more subjective. And there we have to show that our client's invention wouldn't have been an obvious development or combination of things that were previously known um, in this industry. And that's a subjective analysis. And and frankly, that's where we spend most of our time arguing back and forth. I
0: was about to say, that sounds like fertile ground for the potential for litigation. That's
1: exactly right. But that's
0: also why a good evaluation on the front end helps someone determine, like, do you have Something that will pass that test. You bet. And doing some
1: patent searching up front before you file your application, that helps. Just working with an experienced patent attorney who has a feel for this industry, what's likely to be found, not obvious, that helps too.
0: Okay. So, you, you've you got these three standards. You're, you're, I'm sure there's times, though, that someone comes in and pitches the idea and you have to tell them – it's not novel or it's, it is obvious. And, but, but if you can package it together and, and get it right, then I guess, you know, the thing that a lot of would be inventors out there are thinking is, yeah, but how much is this going to cost? Is, is it prohibitive on the front end or is there, you know, uh, uh, is there an efficiency to it? Yeah.
1: And, you know, we used to joke that a lot of what we do, um, is, you know, th- we refer to some of you know sometimes as the dream crusher right because I mean, people ah. come to us and and everybody that comes to us um their idea is you know it's sort of the golden the ticket everybody slice, and, and 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 yeah. often we've got we've got clients with wonderful ideas sometimes however that idea as wonderful as it may be is not a new idea mm-hmm. and 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 for those cases we're we're much better off advising the client on the front end hey this this is going to be tough sledding you may not get a patent on this and it is it is expensive and it takes time and so we want to make sure that Everybody has their eyes open before we get started on that process.
0: Okay. So, what would be a
1: a good estimate then? Yeah. To get – there are really two ways to start the process. One is by filing what's called a provisional patent application. And that's kind of a quick and dirty disclosure of the invention. It lasts for a year and then expires. And then the second is called a non-provisional or utility application. And the non-provisional application um, is the one that's actually examined by the Patent Office and the one you hope is ultimately granted as a patent. For a provisional, you might expect to spend three to four thousand dollars preparing and filing that that application mm-hmm. for a non provisional the range might be something like seven to ten
0: yeah yeah, and obviously you got if you got the right idea and it's headed big places that's a drop in the bucket compared to what you bet you might lose if you don't you know preserve those rights that's right so uh how long does this process take i mean if i've got something that I want to get to market, and maybe I've got others that are trying to go through the same process. I'm going to be worried about how long I'm kind of tangled up in the red tape. What what do you say to that? Well, in most cases, um, the average
1: pendency of a patent application is three to four years. Um, That time, it can be faster, it can be a lot longer. Um, We've had applications pending for eight to ten years. Um, the thing to keep in mind is the term of your patent is generally based on the date you filed your patent application. It's twenty years from the date you file your non-provisional patent application, and so the longer you fight with the patent office, the shorter your term is on the back end. And so at some point, if you continue to you know, pursue your patent filing, right. um, you're you're sort of diminishing returns on the amount of protection you'll actually have on the back end.
0: Right, right, right. So and I've heard this before when you know patent pending. So there's the- there's still the ability to get some of this out to market you've but you know you've got a a patent that you can't necessarily enforce yet but you know it's it's pending and you're going to have those rights like you say in due course you bet and as long as your application is on file and and
1: and it's still being examined you can put patent pending on your product it's really important to get the timing right on when your application is filed we generally tell people to file a patent application Before you make your first public disclosure or Mm. offer to sell it, if you've been selling your your new mousetrap for five years and you've made a you know million dollars with it, and you come to me and say, "Hey, Dave, this is this is pretty hot sauce, and I want to get a patent application on file," you're probably out of time. Um, Generally, we want to have applications filed before the first commercial
0: um, activity takes place. Okay, Um, so and and by the way, it it takes sometimes eight to ten years. How many how many patent examiners? do they have whose job it is to kind of be reviewing all this? You know, I don't know what the current count is, but
1: I know they're very busy. And and lately we've seen a little bit of a backlog, and so we're seeing slower response times. The examining core at the Patent and Trademark Office is divided into different um, art groups. Um, And so the people who are looking at a mousetrap probably aren't looking at Automotive engines, right? Um, and so they are divided by specialty, and the
0: examiners you hope have the right technical experience in each of those specialties, right? Right. And the key here is it, it, how technical this is. I should have mentioned at the outset, you know, just because you've got your law degree, you, you, you couldn't even uh, practice a, as a patent lawyer without your own separate examination, like the bar exam. That's right. w- when did you take your patent uh, test? I took the patent bar in two thousand one. Okay, so just shortly after, shortly after we passed right. at the firm. Okay, so I guess the last piece of all this, and in, in some ways perhaps the most important, once you've really got something with some value, is well, well, how about the enforcement angle? When somebody comes infringing on it, what, yeah. what do you do? Well, um, if you find that
1: somebody, once you have a patent and you understand the scope of your patent as defined by the claims in your, your patent, um, and you find that somebody is infringing your product or process, then you file a lawsuit you've mm-hmm. been to federal lawsuit that is exclusively um the federal subject matter and uh and so you, you find a lawyer and,
0: and find the right venue and forum and and file your patent infringement lawsuit you say find the right venue and forum since it's a, a federal matter yeah. it, i mean obviously there's still uh, you know, procedural issues related to to where the different defendant and plaintiffs reside. But a lot of these get filed all, kind of all over the country, right?
1: Yeah, there's been some forum shopping yeah. uh, and some sort of famous um, cases where um, the Eastern District of Texas was very popular for a while um, for its sort of patent friendly um, docket out there. But yeah, the case for infringement is made if an accused product Meets each and every limitation of at least one claim in the patent, and so there's some analysis that has to go. um, You have to go through on the front end to make sure that you've actually got a good case for infringement.
0: Is it unique for someone like you to to not only kind of help on the registration side, but then also be there for the the battles, or or do most kind of straddle both uh, both areas? I don't think it's that uncommon for,
1: mm-hmm. for people to be uh, involved in both patent prosecution and patent litigation. I think in larger markets where you find attorneys are a little bit more specialized, uh, you might find people who only do patent prosecution and only help people obtain patents than people who only do patent litigation. Right. Um, there are some, some well-known patent litigators who aren't patent attorneys. So, to be a patent litigator, you don't have to have a, oh. a patent registration.
0: Oh, I see. OK. And, and then, you know, I'm, uh, when it comes to like, trademarks, you, you'll hear – you know how zealously you have to watch over you know your mark and make sure. Even you know you see like you know large corporations going after really small minnows out there, and, and it's not because necessarily they want to stamp them out. It's just that if you don't protect it, then you sort of waive it. Is it similar when it comes to patents? There, there are not. Yeah, the in the trademark
1: context, there are certainly uh, opportunities to lose your trademark rights if you don't police those rights. Um, less so in the patent context. Um there are latches and estoppel and acquiescent type defenses but mm-hmm. generally speaking um you you can preserve your claim on the patent side. Um the statute of limitations so to speak the damages period um is about 6 years. Okay. So you have to keep that in mind.
0: But- yeah, and and but most importantly the damages are what really pushes this. If you've got a great product and somebody out there is, you know, got a doppelganger and is eating into your market, well then it doesn't matter whether you want to protect it or not. You need to, you, that's you know, right. that's your, the, you know, that's your, your source of revenue. So, well, it it's a fascinating look at what is a, you know, a crucial part of the intellectual property practice. I, I, I think it's, it's a nice window into kind of the process and I'm glad you shared it with us today. Cause you know, our listeners out there, you know, who knows who the next uh, Einstein is that's uh, got that idea. But, you know, if we don't, help facilitate that flow of information so you know how to get it to market. Uh, then, you know, that's something we could all lose out on. So you bet. I, I appreciate that, that wisdom and insight. Now, David, you know, you're, you're, you're a newbie to the show, which I am. Uh, means that we can't close our proceedings today without, um uh you know, you know, playing uh this game that I like to call, get to know uh, that crow. Uh And what we like to do is, uh you know, we, we like to kind of peel back the onion a little bit and showcase something about our guests that perhaps uh, others might not necessarily have known. Now, this is a unique thing for me because how close we are and how well we know one another, I, I'm i not even going to ask you for it. I'm just going to bring sure. up uh, one of those things that I know that's unique about you. And that's... Uh, it's
1: it's got to be clean. Of right. course,
0: of course. You know, uh, we, was, we haven't uh, come up with our uh, Crow After Dark uh, <laughs> podcast yet. But, you know, uh, keep waiting, uh, loyal listeners. We might have that uh, uh, in store someday. But for the, the Tamer audience today, I just wanted to bring up the fact that I mean you you're a renaissance man you're you're kind of a jack of all trades and 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 I know this about you but something that you picked up and became um I know you're going to sandbag me on this but you became quite proficient uh is uh, swimming uh talk to us about how you how and when you became a swimmer and what it's meant for you
1: yeah uh well that's proficients about as, as 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 strong as I would go on that I, but um yeah I got into swimming probably 15 years ago um, because the, the knees and hips started to go out too much soccer and running as a, a younger person. Um, and so really got into swimming, have really enjoyed it. Full body exercise, nice sort of cathartic, you know, uh, meditative uh, exercise. And, and I've got you into it now. And, I know. And I, I, you know I, I, you're you're one of my my, my my best
0: students. You know, I've been uh, hesitant, but I should just say it now. I, I often call uh, uh, Sully, as I like to call him, uh, Coach Sully, because, uh, I don't know, I guess I've probably been on your tutelage here for at least five years or so. Uh, Strong do, swimmer. Do a lot of swimming together. And, uh, you know, that it's been a, a complete blast. And you are kind of a, a natural... Uh, Uh, Teacher, but but back to kind of your involvement in it. You you actually took it to like a master's level. Is that right? We we
1: started a master's program um, and and got a number of people on our team and competed events. Kind of around the, the area and had a lot of fun with it. It's it's a great program. U.S. Master Swimming is, is fantastic.
0: Now, did you, uh, you know, where, did you ever you know win any of your uh, like your levels? I'm proficient, okay, not uh, not, not <laughs> fast. Yeah, don't uh, don't be confused. Hey, listen, me. no one's calling me a master, so I uh, but I, I do appreciate. Uh, yeah, exactly. I but I appreciate uh, all the, the 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 coaching that you've done for me, and and it really is. It's uh, I, I I call you a Renaissance man with good reason you're, uh, uh, you never cease to be amazed me because you've always got something that you're picking up and it must be the engineer in you that uh, you just, you just like to learn how things work. And uh, it's, it's fun to be around you for that reason. And uh, it's also why I know that you're um, so excellent at your craft here at the firm. So thanks for all that you do here at the firm and thanks for spending some time with us here You bet, thanks uh, me uh, on the podcast. So uh, that's a wrap for today's episode. Um, I did want to give a shout out to all the listeners out there to make sure that you knew that, um, you know, as we enter into this fall season, it's kind of seminar season and our, and our healthcare group, another one of our large practice groups here at the firm, they're going to be having their annual seminar coming up on September 13th. That's going to be at the embassy suites medical center, uh, here in downtown Oklahoma city. Uh, if you want more information about that, I recommend you go to Crow and Dunleavy's website, go to our events page and look for more information on that. They always put on an excellent seminar and, uh, uh, for those of you out there in the healthcare industry, it's a great time to, you know, uh, get your educational credits and and see your good friends at Crow and Dunleavy uh, that help out in that area, you know, on a daily basis. Um, also, remember to follow us on our favorite, uh, on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And if you like what you're hearing, and I know that you do, uh, be sure to give us a rating. Uh, it sure helps with uh, uh, our, our fragile egos. Uh, Tyler and I uh, w- watch with Baylor. Uh, breath each week to see as those uh, ratings come in. And they've been very positive so far, and that makes us feel pretty good about ourselves. So um, also for our listeners who prefer watching uh, a taping of those episodes, well, guess what? You can now find Briefly Legal on our Crow and Dunleavy YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe to that channel if you like what you're seeing. And also don't forget to send us your ideas for future topics that you'd like us to cover. You can do that at Briefly Legal at CrowDunleavy.com. And guess what? You might just hear that topic on a future episode. So that's a wrap for today. And until next time, just wishing that uh, all of you stay healthy out there, friends. And we look forward to spending time with you again next time here on Briefly Legal.